Nothing in this podcast is intended as investment advice, and the people in this podcast may have a position in the stocks they talk about. Do not buy anything based solely on a tip or recommendation or the content of this podcast. Do your own research. Welcome, Ryan Me to the All Points West podcast. Ryan is chief executive and co-founder of Fulcrum Metals. Is an experienced private investor in the natural resources space, turned entrepreneur with uh, extensive knowledge of exploration companies. So good morning to Ryan. Just to give a little explanation, a bit more of an explanation about Fulcrum. Uh, Fulcrum is aimlisted, but Canada-focused exploration company providing opportunity for people to invest in a portfolio of early stage gold, base metal and uranium projects. Fulcrum's focus on Canada means it's operating in a well-established tier one mining-friendly jurisdiction, and it has a number of gold projects in Ontario, plus some early exploration uranium projects in Saskatchewan. The focus is relatively simple. So Fulcrum plans to, first of all, explore, which by the nature indicates early stage projects. Secondly, discover And then thirdly, to scale projects where exploration and discovery work have already shown results that are worth pursuing. So when it listed earlier this year, all of Fulcrum's projects fell into the explore and discover stages of the strategy. However, this changed in August when it acquired the Tully Gold Project in Timmins, Ontario, for $800,000 Canadian dollars, which I think is about 460000 sterling. Fulcrum saw this as a rare opportunity to acquire an advanced gold exploration project with an estimated 107,000 ounce of gold resource, which makes it the most advanced project in Fulcrum's portfolio and firmly a project to scale. So it kind of ticks that third box for Ryan and the team. So Ryan, we mentioned Tully. Tell us about that deal in August and how did it come about? Why is it one that you view as scalable? Why is that important to the future of the business? Yeah, good morning, Carl, and thanks for having me on. Tully is a project that we've been aware of for a while. Now, we were really interested in Tully in the first instance for a number of reasons, but the key reasons is the, the location. The Tully Gold Project is in Timmins and established world-class gold belts. It's produced over 70 million ounces of gold. So we're in gold country. Uh, you're exactly where you want to be. Now, that's a fantastic start point. It's 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 worth noting that there's a there's a mine that's going into production about one and a half kilometers away from us. And we're just 14 kilometers away from all processing facilities in Timmins. And we've got all key infrastructure. So there's so there's there's power lines, there's there's good quality road access, an abundance of labor skills in Timmins being an established mine camp. So it ticks all the boxes that you want to see if you want to scale a deposit. So we've got resources in the ground, fantastic infrastructure. Mine's going into production just down the road from us. And we bought this project in 100% into Fulcrum. It's cost 800000 Canadian dollars, which using the, the current FX rates, works out to just over five and a half US dollars an ounce. Gold price being around 1900 at the moment, I think that's a fantastic price for Fulcrum to bring this project in. And we see significant scale in in upsizing this resource. This project was drilled in 2013. This 107,000 ounces is down to a depth of around 200 metres and only covers around 600 metres of 
around a 1,600-metre strike length, which has all been proven by the drill bit. And the last drill campaign in 2013 by SGX, a long strike to the east, uh, they proved that this gold deposit extends long strike. You know, they intersected 10.5 metres at nearly 1.5 grams a tonne gold, nearly 7 metres at just over 9 grams a tonne gold. And also down plunge at depth of like 600 metres, intercepting 6.5 metres at 8 grams a tonne, 5.5 grams at just over 3 metres. So the expansion there is obvious for us to see. Now when you take Timmins into context, you know all these gold deposits are of similar nature and they're high-grade, uh, narrow veins. But if you look at the, the mines that have been been into production, there's some seriously big mines in this area. You know, over 10 million ounces at the Dome mine, the McIntyre mine, for example. And you've got some, some mines which are, are still operating, such as, uh, as Bells Creek, which is just over 1.5 million ounces. And you've got Hoyle Pond, which is just over 4 million ounces. Now, when these deposits were actually put into production, they they had a fairly small resource of around 200,000 ounces. But as those operations commenced, they began mining and they were able to also mine the lower-grade material in between the high-grade veins. Now, for example, you know, Hoyle Pond, that was put into production 31 years ago. So this shows that you can start at a shallow depth with a small resource, but these vein stacks, they run deep. I mean, Hoyle Pond is at, you know, over a thousand meters deep. So everything points to Tully having this potential. We've seen that the reporting economic gold grades along strike to the east and also at depth. So we're really excited to bring this project in. You know, we I think Tully really complements the company strategy and it helps investors understand what Fulcrum are doing. So we have this explore, discover, scale mantra. So the explore is those really early stage projects where we'll get out on the ground and we'll advance those projects so that we can get to the point where we have drill targets. The next phase is the the discover phase. And that's where we've actually managed to bring up projects from explore through to the point of, right, we've got drill targets. We want to go and discover the next deposit. Now, we've managed to do that with the Big Bear project. You know, we've released news uh, a while ago. And actually, Big Bear looks quite a bit bigger than what we originally thought. And we'll be attacking that next summer. And there's another uh, four or five high-priority geophysical targets for us to go after that. Now, Tully, it's been drilled and there's a deposit there. So this fits firmly within our scale criteria. We know that the grade of this resource is economic because it's at around six grams a tonne gold. And that's roughly the area of uh, the grade of gold where all the other Timmins deposits have been put into production. So the grade is king. It will make or break a project. We know we have grade. We're going out there to increase the resources. So, you know, I'm really pleased with Fulcrum operationally this year. Um, And I'm really pleased with with the support of the board. uh, And also the teams on the ground have done fantastically well for us. It's, I mean, it all sounds too good to be true. So just to explain again for the listeners, you bought Tully from 1911 Gold Corporation, and it, for them, it was a non-core asset. Could you just explain how talks with them came about, who approached who, and just a little bit about why Tully is non-core to them? 
Yeah, so um, 1911, who, who vended the asset? They've got a, uh, quite a significant project in Manitoba. So all of their funds are being put towards developing out that mine. So they don't really have the financial capacity to have any of these non-core assets. So that put us in a great position whereby if we could come up with the right funding package for Fulcrum shareholders, which we absolutely did, you know, the board put £195,000 into the company along with some other high net worth individuals to, to bring 520000 sterling into the company. So we was able to go to them with a cash offer. And, and to put it quite frank, it, it's one that they couldn't really turn down because that was going to help them on their other projects. You know, it, the project itself, it's kind of been lying dormant since 2013. The lead geologist on that project unfortunately passed away. And as you see time and time again with these projects, if the lead geologist is no longer part of the project, then that project gets kind of sucked into someone else's portfolio it just doesn't get the attention that it deserves either from an exploration point of view or a value point wise so Falkland being quite agile and being able to get hold of those funds and put this deal to 1911 it put us in a very strong position and we closed that out pretty quickly so it, I think it was good for 1911 because they they were desperate for cash and that meant that Falkland got a fantastic deal on an asset that is clearly scalable yeah now, Ryan, we had a quick chat off air before uh, before we came on about your motivation for setting up Fulcrum, both yourself and, and Aidan. And I think your sense was that as a as a kind of experienced private investor in in this in this area, you you had a sense that you know some businesses were being run as lifestyle businesses. Is that is that fair? Could you kind of expand on that for us now? Yes, absolutely. As long as I've been investing, I've been investing in natural resources because I see that it's the one industry where you can make astonishing gains first and foremost. Now, as part of, you know, in my investment career, shall we call it, there were too many companies who were, were happy to, to coast along and just you know, raise just enough money each year just to make sure the lights are switched on and all those overheads and salaries are covered. And they're not, they, they just weren't going after their assets to create the shareholder value. They seem to lack that motivation to do that. So I thought, you know what, what I would love to do is create a vehicle which turns that focus around to actually the focus is on putting money into the ground. It's on advancing projects. It's about being brave, going out there for those discoveries, because that's where you're going to find the material return on investment for shareholders. And, you know, if you, if you look at the, the share structure at Fulcrum, you'll see that I own nearly, you know, 14% of Fulcrum, uh, as does Aiden. Now, that isn't by accident. And that is purely designed to show to shareholders that, hey, I'm here to make you money. And by return, if I make you money, I'm going to make myself money. Yeah, you've got some, you've got some skin in the game, haven't you? I've, I've got a lot of skin in the game. I've got the majority of my own personal wealth invested in Fulcrum. That's how much I'm backing myself. That's how much I'm backing Fulcrum. And that's how much I'm backing shareholders, ultimately. How's that gone? How's that message gone down with the investors that you've spoken to? I've no doubt that some of that will probably resonate with them. They they equally will feel frustrated at no doubt some of the businesses in in the sector who some of those traits that you pointed out they will be I've no doubt familiar with. 
Well, yeah, it, it's absolutely resonated with investors. We, as a private company, we, we raised around a million pounds privately, okay? And, and we didn't cast the net very wide at all. There's only a small number of people that, that came on board as part of that. But, but, but also, as, as another side point, I've made sure that myself and Aidan have invested in every single level of fundraising within the business. And we haven't given ourselves any free shares. Every share we have in this company has been paid for in hard cash. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it it has resonated with shareholders. You know, we're we're a very uh, we're an aggressive exploration company. We're not afraid of failures because you have to be brave to make those discoveries. Yeah, and obviously one of those investors that you seem to have impressed with your with your commitment to getting out there and basically doing what you say, not just raising enough money to your phrase to, to keep the lights on and pay the director salaries is uh, Panther Metals. Now Panther own 20% of Fulcrum. Is that, is that correct? Yes, they do. They own 20% of the company. Yeah. Because how did, how did that, how did that come about? It, how did that relationship come about? It, it was, it was something which developed over time to be truthful. I'd, I'd obviously, you know, before setting Fulcrum up, I'd spoken to a number of uh, directors and CEOs who were who on the boards of listed companies. And we, we developed a friendship at that point, mm. in, in a way, like, you know, in a business sense. Uh, so I approached Darren, and after, you know, a few discussions, Darren had confidence in us. And bear in mind, we were a private company there. There was no guarantee that we were going to be listed. Just, so, for, just for some clarity, so Darren is the CEO of Panther. Is that is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So so he shared our vision, our mentality, our motivation, and our drive, which resonated with him. And he's seen that, actually, this is a good opportunity for Panther also. So if we complete this deal... Panther take a, a shareholding in our company, which really backs up the projects that we have and also the belief in the team at Fulcrum. And I think shareholders should, should take real comfort in that, that a listed company was prepared to take that chance, if you like, on a private company. Albeit, in my mind, there was no way we were not going to get listed. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a little bit of a of a bulldog when I'm onto something, and you know we achieved the listing and we proved that you know the discussions that we had all had a real sound base. Yeah. Now, Ryan, again, just for clarity, Panther is listed on the main market in London, and they're kind of a buyer of companies and assets in the resources sector. Is uh, is the quid pro quo here that Panther will buy Fulcrum eventually, or at least buy some of the assets once you've proved that there's commercial quantities of either gold or uranium? Well, Panther Metals, just like ourselves, are focused on making discoveries and then bringing those larger partners in. I wouldn't envisage that situation to occur. I think what it is is Panther have a, a, some coins in the bucket in the event that we go and make a discovery. So that's an upside for their shareholders in exchange for taking the risk on us. Got it. Okay. We're looking for value drivers for shareholders. So ultimately, we want to get it to a position where we can bring in a much larger company who can really advance the project much quicker from the point of discovery than a junior exploration company could. So uh, in short, you know, 
a larger company than such a panther would would come in and uh, do those types of deals with us. Okay, great. Now, you also have early stage exploration projects in the Saskatchewan region, is that right? Yes, yeah, so we've got further projects in, in Ontario, which cover gold and base metals. And we have two more projects in Saskatchewan, which is focused on uranium. But it also has a very interesting slant on one having a gold target and another one having anomalous rare earth in the form of niobium and tantalum. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the uranium projects have got some people quite excited. As I understand it, Saskatchewan is the world's leading source of high-grade uranium. It supplies about 20% of the world's uranium. These projects obviously provide some exposure to increasing global recognition and investment in nuclear energy as a way of decarbonizing baseload power. What makes these projects so appealing? Why aren't they higher up your priority list, if you like? Because I watched something recently with you taking some questions, and I think a few people were quite interested in uranium and particularly with the the talk about the push towards net zero that that might you know that might seem to be quite significant potentially yes uranium is a hugely exciting opportunity now because of this global ambition to to reach net zero and as you as you state uranium is really going to be a focal point of that because it offers sustainable low carbon energy which renewable energy just doesn't Now, as a company, you know, we've got a number of projects, so we need to have a strategy behind that so that we don't stretch our finances too much, but also a focus on how we're going to create shareholder value. Mm -hmm. Now, as as, as we've just discussed, the Tullygard project in Timmins is our primary focus, is is the company company making situation. Mm -hmm. Now, the rest of the projects... We will still work all of those. It'd be almost like a, a secondary work stream and we'll be advancing those projects to the point where it either offers the company a very good commercial opportunity to crystallize some value for shareholders. Now, the reason why we do that is because we're an exploration company and we need money to go and explore. So if we can generate these opportunities for the company, that what that can lead to not only us reducing our re- re- expenditure requirements going forward, but also subject to you know what options are available there. We can bring money into the business. We can you know JV the properties off so that we have no further work requirement, but we still retain an interest in the property. So you know our model here is to make discoveries, but also create opportunities to crystallize value through the portfolio that we have now as a function of that naturally as we look at the the projects we're looking to develop rather than go for the discovery right now naturally as we go through the exploration phases we will reprioritize these projects and it might be that we want to go looking for discovery on one of the projects ourselves so we cannot rule out any of the other projects. And I do believe the Saskatchewan projects we have offers us a great deal of upside for shareholders. Yeah. But what we've also seen is we've seen a number of speculative funds arrive, such as Sprata Asset Management. Now, what they are doing, they, they recognize this opportunity in uranium, and they're buying physical uranium out of the market. So in this situation where our demand curve is increasing, and because of the lack of investment in uranium, we're not going to be able to materially increase that supply of uranium to meet the demand. So there's going to be a shortfall. 
And that's what these funds are focusing on. If they take some some of this existing uranium out of the market, that's only going to exacerbate the situation where we're going to need a lot more uranium that we're going to be physically able to, to produce over the next 10 to 15 years. And that in itself is going to mean our properties are extremely valuable. So is that an attempt by these funds to drive the price of uranium up then if, they, if they're taking it out of the market? Absolutely. The funds are there to make money. And, yeah. and they see that the, the uranium spot price is hovering around the $55 mark at the minute. Yeah. Now, we know by looking at existing operations in, in Saskatchewan, and those with uranium projects or uranium mines on care and maintenance, they do not make any money below $70. Now, we're at 55 at the moment. Yeah. And the real curious thing about the uranium market is, is this market has a history of extreme volatility. So the last uranium bull run, uh, which was kind of around the 2008 era, you were seeing exploration companies seeing a 1,000% upside I mean, what you've seen around, you know, in and around that time, you've seen the, the uranium spot price increase around from $20 all the way up to well over, well over $100. Yeah. Now, if you factor into inflation today, that would equate to, you know, north of $150 uh, spot price for uranium. So we, we took that risk last year to bring these projects in. And I think it's really, really going to benefit the shareholders as we go forward. There's a lot of interest in in the area we are, which is in the North Athabascan region. And we think these assets are prime for crystallizing value uh, in the form of bringing somebody in who, who will really go at these projects. Got it. Okay. Now, we kind of alluded to earlier on your career before setting up Fulcrum. Obviously, you were a a private investor in the in this space. Could you just talk me through your career before you got you got to Fulcrum? Absolutely. I spent around sixteen years in senior positions for a an industry leading audit and consultancy company, which grown from a very small company from when I joined. And I helped grow that company up to the point that it was taken over by a venture capitalist company early twenty twenty. So I had reached as far as I could in that company. And at that point, I'd been investing in natural resource stocks for a real good number of years. And actually, up to the lead of that, you know, I'd made a great friendship in Aidan, who co-founded Falcon with me. Mm-hmm. And what, what we actually started to look at, as I said, from our investment experience, we weren't too happy with the way that some of the smaller market capitalistic companies were not spent going out there trying to aggressively develop projects but more how can they just keep the company ticking over so we we had a look at a different a few different models on how we can get involved in the process in some sort in either project generation or the running of a listed company so then we took the step back and said okay we either back ourselves set up the company create the vehicle or we don't so we went ahead and we created Fulcrum, and here we are today. <laughs> Great. So I want to take you further back to childhood. Where did you grow up? I detect a bit of a Midlands accent. Is that fair? 
Yes, that's correct. I thought I was masking it quite well, but uh, <laughs> obviously not. So uh, I was born and raised and grew up in south of Birmingham. Mm-hmm. My family, were they weren't a wealthy family. What did you folks do? My mum was a, a stay-at-home mom, mm-hmm. and my dad was a carpenter. Okay. So true working-class background, right? From an early age, understood the value of money. Mm. And, in fact, very few people in my entire family had even been to higher education at that point. Mm. So so that kind of sets out my, my background. You got, have you got siblings? I do. I have a brother and two sisters. They're all younger than me. All I would hope is that I've, I've been a good role model for them. But they're, they're all doing well in life, so... What they've seen me achieve is, you know, it seems to filter through the family. You know, they're all really good people. Does that kind of working class ethic bleed through into your school work? Were you a conscientious pupil and a hard worker at school? I would like to say I was extremely studious and and fulfilled my potential. But if I'm honest, I didn't. We all like to think we've fulfilled our potential. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I was always told as a young child at school that I need to focus more okay. and maybe that's what's filtered into into my later life where I've become this extremely dedicated and driven individual that I am now. Yeah. Did you then go on to higher education because I'm sure I read that you're an economist by training. Did you go to university and, and study economics? At the very last minute I went to uni. I mean it's Coventry University. It's got an excellent business school there. It's got yeah. a very good reputation. I gained my economics degree. But whilst economics as a general subject, I found fascinating and really wanted to get my teeth into it. I couldn't quite nail down what specific part of the economics do I want to specialise in. Mm. So that's why I went into audit and consultancy to give myself a bit of time to to kind of think about what I actually, you know, what do I want to specialise in? Now, as luck would have it, I found myself in actually a very progressive company, which aggressively grown over the number of years that I was there. So that to me became my uh, driving motivation, really. And that was to help this company really become something much bigger than it is. And as part of the senior teams there, I managed to do that. Mm. But my investing experience just ignited a much bigger fire within me. Yeah. So to me, it's like a natural progression. You know, I'd earn my stripes through education. I'd earn my stripes through increasing the 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 ability and the size of, the, of a company, and actually being quite a, an integral part of that. Yeah, and and that gave me a lot of commercial acumen, which I then started to apply to my investing, and that's what led to me looking at the project evaluation, and that's really flourished over the last six years. Great. One final thing before I let you go. What's next for Ryan Me? Have you got any kind of unfulfilled ambitions that you'd maybe like to tackle? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be professional. It might be a personal thing, something outside of work. To go and make a discovery, to be perfectly honest with you. I know that it might sound a little bit, well, you would say that. You're the CEO of an exploration company. <laughs> That's your job, yeah. It, it is my job, but it's, for me, it's not just the job. It's genuine passion. It's what really motivates me. Yeah, it goes back to what you just said about finding your purpose, finding the thing that gets you out of bed at five in the morning. That You've obviously found it. 
Yeah, and that's it. And, you know, I'm a great believer that if other people make money, you'll make money yourself. I love seeing people make money in the markets. It can be chastening time sometimes with sentiment results or changes in management or underperformance. And when people are making money in the market, on a personal level, I'm so pleased for everybody. People making money makes me happy because everyone likes a happy society and an investment community. Mm. Great stuff. Ryan, me, listen, many thanks for joining us on the All Points West podcast and, uh, and good luck with it all. Thanks, Carl. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Oh, uh-huh.